0: the Pursuit of Prosperity podcast. Thanks for joining us. Today, I'm here with Casey. Hold on. What's your last name, Casey? I never got your last name. So I should (laughs) have guessed. I should have
1: guessed. You just need to know me as Casey.
0: Uh, (laughs) We're here today with Casey Smith. She is a transaction coordinator. She owns Atlas Group.
1: Atlas Transaction Coordinator.
0: Atlas Transaction Coordinator. If you're looking for someone to help you with your transactions, if you're a small-time operator, don't have a a full-service transaction coordinator in your business, Casey's your girl. And you're going to hear today why. Like what she does, it's different, and how she sets herself apart. And hopefully, like you can avoid some of the mistakes that I made when I started investing. I thought transaction coordination was no big deal. Like anyone could do it. It was just like five bucks an hour in the Philippines. We're good to go. Let's rock and roll. That's not the case. Transaction coordination, I got sued probably a dozen times uh, because of mistakes that mostly the title company honestly made, but I didn't have somebody that was more knowledgeable than the title company in my office to correct them. And so now... All those lawsuits are settled out. I've got everything resolved. I was not at fault for anything, but I still had to deal with a dozen lawsuits. So this is how to not do that. And she's gonna go through some of the important steps of what we're doing when we're buying properties, questions we should be asking, and how to avoid these sorts of situations. So welcome. Thanks Thank so much you. for coming. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad you're here. Um, I'm hoping I can learn some stuff and avoid problems of my own, <laughs> as I seem to have been able know to what find. You don't know, no, you so. really don't. And um, this is what we were saying uh, earlier is like Transaction coordination is the hub of the wheel that is real estate investing. It is the center, uh, it's the linchpin, it's whatever you wanna call it. If you can solve people's problems that a realtor can't, you have deals. It's as simple as that. That's how you create deal flow is you can solve something that someone else, no one else can. And so with help from experts, like our transaction coordinator was an escrow officer for 10, 12 years. She knows her stuff very well and we pay her very well for that. Casey, can do that for you on a smaller scale so i imagine that you've charged like a fee on a case by case Yeah. how does that work Tell me it about makes that. it
1: really affordable because as you know when you bring them in house you're responsible for training them you're responsible for the cost of if they leave um, benefits all of that good yep. stuff you might not have the full deal flow to support them or keep them busy totally um and so we offer basically like a third party option so um, and by the way i have worked with teams that were closing 30 plus a, a month easy. So, you, it, it works. It just depends on your operation and yeah. your personality. So, we're basically a third party where um, we onboard you and we don't take just, we're not like a title company that you could just take, you know, takes a contract from you. Yeah. We need to know who you are, what your strategies are, you know, and we customize your, your processes, mm-hmm. your, just like anything totally else. Totally makes you sense. Need systems and processes. Yeah. And so, we'll basically customize checklists and, and do all of that work that a good skilled transaction coordinator would do for you if they knew what they were doing. So, mm-hmm. What I find is when people get started you're learning a lot you're learning how to talk to people you're learning the technicalities of property code and how contracts work and then there's the whole title clearing and how to communicate to these you know often unsophisticated sellers and I just mean that in terms of maybe they haven't bought and sold a lot of properties. Yeah,
0: they're not real estate professional.
1: Um so yeah, so I so what we can do is we basically look at us as a completely managerial department for you. Mm-hmm. So um you when you work with us, you get assigned a lead TC um and they have a team behind them because it takes a team. Yeah. <laughs> um but I'm responsible for training them, holding them accountable to service standards and making sure that um I mean, your success is our success, so we don't get paid unless it closes, and we just do a per file fee.
0: Are they are these TCs that I'm, like, assigned, are they stateside, or are they- Stateside, 100%. Right. Okay.
1: I personally, um, and I do have overseas VAs that actually sure. are incredibly detail-oriented people with contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, they handle a lot of things I don't think a lot of people would use VAs for, um, but they're on the backside. They're basically like assistants to the TC, mm-hmm. and then I have a title resolution expert on each team. Um, Everyone knows how to solve problems, but to me, a transaction coordinator, what you really want is someone detail-oriented. You want to make sure that they're not putting – that you don't have things on the contract that could cause you, the seller, to get out or you get out. You want to protect your interest. You want to make sure you're on time and within the law that you're following property code, all that fun stuff. But – They also have to influence people. Without a realtor involved, they're the ones that are walking your seller through the process and holding their hand, letting them know when to expect money and how to expect money. Um, If anything alters the expectation they were promised, which can happen, if something comes up on the title commitment or if their bottom line changes because we found out their taxes actually weren't paid, and they think that's part of closing costs. To me, that's altering the expectation of their bottom line or how long it might take to close something. And so that person is trying to align often three to 15 parties in a transaction. I mean, there could or be. Or 30. Or like 30. I've, ha- I've had
0: situations where we have literally <laughs> yes. 20 heirs that are signing. And, and it definitely
1: happens a lot. Yeah. But your average will have three to 15 on it. Mm-hmm. And that it can include an array of people just depending on who's involved. If you don't have someone that is like the center point of your wheel that yeah. understands all the intricacies of what's happening and what each of those parties needs, that's where most deals fall through. Totally. And that so if the sense. expectation isn't set correctly with acquisitions and then the, you know, Baton passed over to the transaction Mm -hmm. coordinator where they carry on that consistency. I think a lot of these guys are doing themselves a disservice. Um, And as you know, when you get started, you're wearing all the hats. Totally. And so you might not have the expertise to solve these complicated problems. So why not hire someone who already has it? You don't have to train them you don't, it's like a fast process. You basically insert someone into your business to start working. Yeah,
0: I mean, let's be real. You don't have the expertise to solve them unless you're a real estate attorney.
1: It's true, yeah.
0: Or you have dozens of years of experience in title. (laughs) Like, you don't. And most people who get into real estate investing, I'd venture to say the vast, vast majority, aren't that No. like that not. person who's entitled and super detail oriented is not the go get or make it happen no. real estate investor. Those are two separate individuals.
1: Exactly. And, and you get that on a TC too, right? So like I said, you, you want to find someone who's detail oriented, but also influential
0: mm-hmm. and can
1: talk and communicate. So, to me, you have to understand real estate. Totally. You need to know property code. You need to understand what like chain of uh, titles getting passed. You have to understand it. Mm-hmm. So to me, that that's why I put them in teams is yeah. because no single person, it's hard to find someone that is both. And they're going to burn out when you max them out. And it's mm-hmm. going to be hard to find someone else that yeah. can work at that capacity and level.
0: Do you have like private investigators?
1: I do. <laughs> I would imagine
0: you would because so one thing that we struggle with is actually just tracking people down. Yep. It's like, hey, we got a bunch of money we got to give you, but we can't find you. Yep. So tracking people down has been a, a thing that's come up that's been a problem for us. And we've looked at hiring, not full time, obviously, but we've hired um, private investigators like to go and search Even people, track case people Even on a case-by-case basis. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a real thing. And so I figure with the, the level of transactions you're doing, we're doing, you know, hundred. 50 a year yeah. you're doing like 7 Or seven hundred. yeah <laughs> like so um you know. and
1: nationwide so yeah. things look different but we live in such a a world where after covid everyone started doing a lot of things virtually people are moving i mean mm-hmm. families are everywhere so yeah it's it, it's it's we do have a pi like on standby to hire out if yeah. needed um, and depending on the situation, we'll pass that additional cost and ask, hey, this is what we know. This is what we know we can clear or not clear. We're at that level where we've exhausted all of our resources mm-hmm. and it's down to the PI. Yep. Um, and we use them a lot. Um, but I actually just really made friends with underwriters and started asking questions and figuring out what's acceptable, not um, so that we can ask the right questions to the sellers and whatnot and show like reasonable efforts for things. So we go to pretty good lengths. And then, of course, we've got resources um, where we sit and research a lot.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Let me me like pause and break things down a little bit. So when you're doing real estate investing, there's this kind of like order of events that has to occur. So to start out, you've got to find your seller. So usually that'll involve marketing, um, or realtors. And that's how you find your seller. Next thing you do is you actually sign a contract with the seller and that contract, it gives you, um, a day, a time like a day and an amount that they're going to receive. Um, for the property. And it's basically laying out, here's the plan. That's what a contract is. Here's the plan. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's what the seller's going to do. And here's how we're going to work together. And once you sign that contract, then what happens is it goes to a title company. And if you're a good investor, it goes to a title company. And when it goes to a title company, what they're doing is they have an attorney and they're talking to the county to get all the records on that property. And then they're figuring out how does it go from say, Casey owning a property, to me owning that property. And what who has to sign, what do they have to do so that everything's legally binding? In conjunction with that, the title company is getting insurance from an underwriter. And that insurance is, if anything goes wrong anywhere in the transaction, or the title screwed up or missed something, and I give Casey the money, she gives me the property, but they screwed up somewhere, the insurance will pay me back my money, or pay her the difference, or if there's another heir, get them paid out. They cover the oops. That's their job. And that's a big part of what you're paying for when you go through title. And once it actually closes, that's how everything kind of ends up. And you, every single transaction, we're paying a fee for in case anything goes wrong. And we've used it multiple times and it's saved my butt. So um, in order for all that to work, the transaction coordination begins when the contract gets signed and ends when the deal closes, typically, unless there's a title claim or something, it might come back up. But those are rare, like a Probably a thousand plus deals I've done, we've had probably three or four title claims. And we're working with like the hairiest, ugliest deals you can find. That's where we bring our value is by solving those problems. So, what she's saying is that's where she's going to enter into the transaction. Once you've got a contract signed, she can help and through closing. Now, before you sign a contract, if you need transaction coordination, you should probably talk to her. She has an onboarding process and all that sort of thing. So all that's important because she has to understand your strategy and what you're doing. If you're wholesaling, fix and flip, buy and hold, all that will play in. If there's lenders involved, if it's all cash, all that is a function of what she's going to be helping you with. And so all of those are important pieces to the puzzle. Did I explain that pretty well? Nailed it. Yeah. Sounds I've done like it once you've or done twice. a few deals. <laughs> well,
1: a lot of people and, and it's it's a common question where people ask what it is. Yeah. Because it isn't I don't I just think it's a neglected part of the operation that you just don't really hear about, right? So yep. what I find is um I I'm my most successful like clients are the ones that understand what it takes and follow our lead mm-hmm. because we've done so much. If you don't really know how to do the process well and then try and tell us, oh, it should be done this way, we're often going to be like, well, we disagree across thousands of deals. Totally. Um, But it is difficult to get people to understand the importance of it um, and that there's some other companies out there that claim to do what we do. um, But if you look at their numbers, really, I think the, the, the true test of a good one is the like basically your termination rates. Mm -hmm. And not to say that all that falls on a TC, but I see a lot of people go through and boast about, oh, our transaction coordination department helped us get a $400,000 assignment, great. But in reality, that deal was probably underwritten at the beginning, like Mm -hmm. finding the lead. Um, And really we're just seeing it through to make sure you actually get it to the finish line because you can't count your money (laughs) until it closes, as we all know.
0: 100%. And
1: how many people do you really hear who are transparent about what they're really closing? We mm-hmm. don't really hear those numbers very often. Yep. Everyone talks about how many contracts they're getting, and we know the truth of it, and we kind of have looked at what's really healthy because you expect a certain fall through, but we've got it down to a science where we're actually tracking how long is it taking us to get the title? How long is it taking you to close? How many days does it take us to solve the problem?
0: What what should, if I, so like if I contract 10 properties in a month, how many should I expect to close? Well, it depends experience? on your strategy. Good point.
1: <laughs> Our favorite answer in real estate, It depends. Really, what we what we see overall is if you're over a twenty to twenty five percent termination rate on assignments, there's something not great in your operation.
0: You're paying too much, struggling to find something. buyers, or is it?
1: Most of them fall through for yeah, lack of maybe not underwriting correctly, buying too high, can't find the buyer, mm-hmm. or we see people really market for a long time but not do anything differently. So. You know, for example, if Just you have not email
0: blast after, email right, if you have it for 10 of. days
1: and you're not getting answers mm-hmm. and you haven't changed the price or done anything different, what do you expect to happen?
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: I don't know if you notice, but as a realtor, I get a lot of phone calls. Um, hey, I've got this property. I noticed that, you know, you might have some cash buyers. and I was like, how long have you had it? Mm hmm oh, six months, okay, well, that tells me it's too high already. Like, yeah. I already know that. Yep. Um, so anyway, I think there's a lot of things that go into it, and we have to be careful to ask ourselves, how are they really helping your operation? Like, what are the key performance indicators for that department? And I think people completely... Disregard that for transaction coordinating. Well,
0: what are the keeper? What should I be looking you at? You should be
1: looking at how many you're acquiring and okay. how many um, how many days to close because that's your actual cash conversion cycle mm-hmm. from the day that it's actually contracted. Where most investors are only looking at your costs per lead,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: you're not looking at your cost of time. Yeah. So these newer strategies, for example, novations that everyone's mm-hmm. all the rave about. Yeah. Those take way longer to close. And most of my clients are breaking even, if anything, on them. Not to say it's not a good strategy. It's just, do you understand the conditions of which you should be doing it? And do you have someone who can coordinate that overlay of parties and and issues that can arise from those?
0: Yeah, novating contracts. Um, I've done some version of that. And I actually made up my own version back in 2016 using powers of attorney and stuff instead yeah. of novation. And... Um, There's so many pieces up in the air, and the parties, you have to kind of silo their knowledge of what's going on in each And it's very, very difficult to perform, and I just kind of came to the determination that the juice ain't worth the squeeze. Or
1: they have to be 100% transparent.
0: Yeah, which is also like most sellers aren't going to go for that. And so what, I mean, for me, if I'm going to go the novation route, I just close them. I just close and list. And that, like, if
1: you've ever heard me talk about novations, I am an advocate of that. Yeah. I, I'm not a fan of them. I, they don't really make sense unless you're, you know, obviously this is like a total tangent, but we get asked to do novations the most because we yeah. understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always, I will only work with clients who do them the right way because I don't want to be liable for you totally. transacting something that they could, they'll see a name anywhere and they'll attack them. Yep. So people don't understand that, but like, I personally am not a fan of the POA. I actually won't work with people who use them mm-hmm. um, because your seller can literally cancel a POA at any time. Mm-hmm. And then where are you? How much money have you put into the deal? But that's a side note. Um, at the end of the day, there's so many different ways to do it um, that I, most people don't have the knowledge of all of the compliance and the landmines that happen with them, and so they yell at us when things aren't going through. And I was like, mm-hmm. well. I mean, you don't have the trust of your seller. Yeah. You know, if you did not have Rightfully so, that, if you're
0: lying to them. Right? Like. <laughs> like, you're not even
1: being fully transparent. Now, I do work with people that are very transparent. Like, mm-hmm. I actually, as a realtor, do them too. But mm-hmm. I require that I sign directly with the seller. Yeah. But that's all technicality. So I think it just kind of goes to show you that all these, like, new sexy deals that everyone's doing or, like, creative strategies based on the market they are very rarely understanding how to actually legally transact them
0: yeah they're not simple
1: they're not simple there
0: there's so many moving parts at once that it becomes not impossible it's doable but it's very difficult and the amount of work you have to put in i think there's easier ways to make money i agree so yeah (laughs) so let's let's kind of rewind here i mean you said you mentioned earlier that you started investing like full-time in like 2017.
1: Well, I started actually getting involved in creative real estate in 2017. So I was licensed then. So I got licensed. Yeah,
0: where did all this? Where did it start? Go back to. I mean, the if you
1: how far back we want to go? You tell me. <laughs> so, like, my I actually have a master's in um, political oh. science and and like international relations and all that politics. What was the
0: plan with that? You were gonna be a Um, politician? You know,
1: I I was actually gonna be a journalist.
0: Okay, cool. Um,
1: but and I had I had backpacked all over the place in my mid twenties and um, worked at this like journalism center in Eastern Europe when these like revolts were happening in two thousand nine. So I thought I wanted to be a journalist until I worked like with twenty of them covering what was happening. Mm -hmm. And I realized how cool it was to watch the making of the news. And so I actually ended up being a, a media analyst for a company out of Zurich. Oh, cool. So I would actually watch the news and read The Wall Street Journal and all other media cover to cover and turn it into a, a methodology of code um, that like, so we've always been
0: really detail oriented. Well, and, I'm like, actually not detail oriented,
1: but I am it's not my I can do it. I'm like, I can do it, but I can't sit there long. I'm more of a higher level, but mm-hmm. I have to understand why I'm doing something. So I ask a lot of questions. (laughs) And so I I thought it was interesting. So I used to like code media, which gave you like a wealth of knowledge that I don't think anyone needs. Like the things that I have in my head um, just from reading like investment objects and things. But I kind of got to understand how to tell people important things with lots of data. Yeah. Which
0: boil it down to. Yeah. Like you have to boil it
1: down as an analyst into something that makes sense. Mm hmm. So I've always kind of had um, a knack for that. But I uh, my end goal was to really help people make sense of controversial things. I feel like I kind of that translates into this now, because in reality, uh, international relations. OK, it's the study and diplomacy of people in tense situations.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: Okay. I mean, how do, why do we go to war? Because somebody said somebody pissed somebody off like you're dealing with personalities with egos the more i read about the conversations that actually happened at really like well well known conferences post war
0: mm-hmm. the
1: more i was more interested in that and how people spoke to each other to get certain things done um because what you see on the surface is never really what it never. is same in real estate yeah. it's crazy you know people think it's luck that you get these crazy deals but it's just because you knew how to talk to people to get them to cooperate um you you had to explain and get their trust in order to navigate these tough situations. Um, And I think that's an incredible skill. (laughs) And not only that, but you're doing it in an atmosphere of law that's constantly changing, Mm -hmm. right? And so you have to be always looking over. Got laws changing,
0: market changing, all these different factors, I mean, interest rate, all these things all play into how you can dice up a deal on what you can do with it. And it's think all Think about how much changing. you know, really. Mm-hmm.
1: Like, I think there's some quote around that says, you learn more about people, politics, history, through real estate than I feel like any other industry. Not that, I mean, everyone has their pieces of it, but if you don't approach doing this in that way with a curiosity, I think it's a really tough field to be in.
0: Totally, I would agree with that. The I mean, I've found personally the best method for acquisitioning property my like secret weapon is questions. Yes. If you, if you are an expert at asking questions, I don't convince anyone to do anything. I ask them the right questions. So they convince themselves.
1: Exactly. And
0: then they get to their own conclusions. And through those, through those questions, when they self reflect, they know the answer. And it's my job to extract that from them so that they can say it, and then they realize that's their truth and what they have to do next. Yeah, and it's it's and
1: and so most people put that in the sales category and acquisitions. Mm-hmm. Your TC needs to be able to do the same thing. When you really think about yeah, it, yeah, no, they do, right? Because if someone's ghosting them or if somebody is acting funny, if they have enough knowledge of people and the situation, they're gonna know something's up. Mm-hmm. And what are you gonna go? To? They're they're a good one's gonna go back and try and say hey what's really going on or you know say the wrong thing so they say the right thing like whatever tactic it is to re-get them onto the the game plan i think that we forget that the tc has to be good at that so i I train mine to do that and to ask questions
0: that's uh so what you're talking about is a tactic that i use where i purposefully will mislabel somebody right like it seems like you're avoiding this and they're clearly not avoiding it but it's like no, I'm, I'm, I'm trying exactly, and then they'll <laughs> tell me the truth. Or it seems like it seems like you have a hesitation, or it seems like there's more going on here. Yep. Once I make that label, they'll then correct me. Yep. And that correction, the truth comes out. That's What's how going I, on.
1: That's how I used it foreclosures. How I was really good at getting foreclosures because the number one thing they say is, um, "I got it handled." Oh, great, you got a loan mod. Mm-hmm. You just say anything. Oh, great, you got the money to reinstate. They immediately respond when you're that quick. Uh, no, but and then they start to stutter and catch themselves, yeah. and then you start to like at least get them a little longer to say an answer so mm-hmm. I think it works in every stage of the contract
0: so how do you go from journalism gonna cover the world Casey to dealing with foreclosures <laughs> <laughs> Bridge that gap for me well
1: to be honest um, I like it was such a crazy schedule I was on a plane at least three at least three or four times a week um, because we had offices in Zurich South Africa uh, New York Boston I was based in Boston I went to wow. Boston University. So I would take the red eye over to Zurich, which is fine because it's like six hours sleep, hop up the office, work, you Mm -hmm. know, for a few days, a week, whatever, come back. It was really easy. But then I moved to Texas (laughs) and that commute got really, really difficult. So I just got worn out really, really quickly. Um, It was just a grind. And I just realized that I didn't really want to burn out anymore. So I came back home. I tried my, like, feet in nonprofit just to get a job. Not for me. God bless the work you're doing. But the pace of which it happens was very hard for me. It like was it's just too slow? slow. Yeah, I would
0: imagine.
1: Um, too and slow. I found that they kept like capping me, you know, they only wanted to raise their amount so much to look good. And anyway, it just wasn't the scene for me. Yeah. So I ended up getting a um, sales job for a construction company in Dallas when I moved over here, um, like windows and siding. And, so up. like, okay. you know, like you're like mm-hmm. one call closes. One mm-hmm. um, well, of my firm, my, my, former uh husband did it and that's how i got into it okay so they were like you'd be really good at this i was like you're out of your mind um but i did it just for fun and i learned so much because it is a one call close i mean you're going in and less than one percent call you back so if you didn't make it there you didn't do it and i was actually pretty good at it Mm -hmm. um everyone has a superpower Mm -hmm. um i was like the only female on the team so it
0: worked females in sales i've noticed when they are good at selling can be absolute, like, juggernauts. They can be so good at it uh, because they break the monotony. Like, everyone's used to sales guys. Mm -hmm. Very rarely do you hear the term sales girls. Like, sales guys, sales guys. and And when you break that up, and then the way women approach things... I mean, this might be news to people, but it's usually a little different <laughs> than men. And so that that can actually serve them really well because people are sick of that uh, masculine approach. They want a feminine approach. And so it can work really yeah. well. Yeah. And of what's interesting
1: is I was trained by really great salesmen, mm-hmm. like sales guys. And I will never forget, because we had this policy where if you were if you weren't gonna be making the sale, step out and make a phone call and make sure that you are covering all the objections, maybe some word tracks, get a little help. Go yeah. back in and get one more no if you need to, but basically mm-hmm. don't walk out without calling. Yeah. So I remember feeling hovered over, and I, and you kind of get nervous because you you have to have your own style, and you can't just mimic somebody. Kind of how I treat my company, too. Totally. We're a little different. But what I found was I finally asked my uh, managers and the owner of the company, I said, I want 30 days without the rule of having to call you, and I want you to not – distract me let me find my groove let me figure out how to like navigate what info i know and where i'm trying to get them so i can learn people without you guys in my ear telling me to say things a certain way Mm -hmm. um and they they granted it to me and i said i will call you when i need you i didn't call him for six months and i just was like closing and close. but i but i was closing and i said Mm -hmm. you can fire me if i'm not closing that was the best thing i ever did because i could figure out how to communicate and ask questions differently in the way i would and get the trust of like both parties because it was a little unsuspecting. But at one point we were kind of thinking, we were looking at the house and we're like, why don't we just sell the whole house? You know, because we were kind of capped at how much we could make.
0: So you're at a house to sell them windows. Yeah. And you're like, why don't we just buy why the house?
1: Well, or why don't we just like figure out how to sell the whole thing or to buy the whole thing instead of trying to sell in pieces of the house because the money was so good in just windows. Like what yeah. could it be if it were like the whole house?
0: So what happened next?
1: And so we decided to get licensed so in real estate. So you got a
0: real estate license.
1: And then joined a local RIA um, in Dallas and just started learning about all the creative ways that you can buy and sell property. And it was over from there so you quit the window thing
0: and you started going door to door doing foreclosures from yeah (laughs) then i got
1: foreclosure lists um and we had this whole system Now i am a systemized person Mm -hmm. because um i don't like to have to think to do things over and over if i'm doing something repetitively i'm going to find the most efficient way to not think about like i want to be an autopilot yeah um and i had so much on my plate that that's what i would focus on doing i'm like there's got to be an easier way to knock doors So we started, like, how do we map them? How do we pull them? How do we scrub them? The most efficient way. What's our criteria? And Mm -hmm. so that's what we did. Um, And just hit the ground running, like, knocking the doors. We ended up wholesaling a lot at first because um, we were learning.
0: Well, that's what everybody does at first. Yeah, yeah. Closing on a property and all that. It's like you want to get some, some wins under your belt. Yeah, like a flip is.
1: Flip. I'm not a fan. (laughs) Flips are
0: there. I mean, they they can make great money. You can make homes beautiful. There's so many cool things about flips. Yeah, but unless you have a strong construction background, I wouldn't recommend starting there. But it sounds like you did have some construction background, or at least people in your.
1: Uh, A little
0: world did if you're doing windows and yeah. construction sales and I stuff. know windows
1: I can say the size of a window just by looking at yeah. it yeah <laughs> no what we actually did was we found at this local RIA, we found people that were good at what we weren't and so a good friend Leah she's a fix and flipper mm-hmm. um, she is a boss she's like a GC she's also licensed she runs several flips at a time in Dallas And so we partnered with her. We found a really good property and we said, is this good? She walked it with us and she goes, yeah, we'll just do a 50-50 split and I'll teach you how to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I wish I had time to learn more from her. She's still a really good friend. Um, But what I do now is just reno to keep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I didn't really like that whole process. You're like a Burr
0: Method investor now. Yeah,
1: now I kind of went full circle. So once I was able to start actually investing again, um, my company, my TC company, which I had started, was off and running. So I've been out of the day to day for a while now. Yeah. Um, so I went back to being able to um, basically cherry pick what I want. Mm-hmm. So I'm a, I'm a slow and steady burr method right now.
0: Which, so tell me how you're doing that. Like, is there, are you using hard money to close? Using cash to close? You I actually um,
1: use local banks. So okay. I just make good relationships with people. What's some of the local banks you like? Um, Interbank is a good one I've
0: never heard of them Interbank Yeah Um, They're
1: they're a little slower Sometimes um, And you do Listen I'll say this with a caveat Like anyone that's doing The Burr Method You have to have decent credit Like Yeah I, I get so frustrated with people saying, oh, you need no money. Maybe. But at some point, focus on fixing your credit so that you can be loanable. Yeah, um, gotta be bankable. And, and make it bankable. And I'm surprised at how many people I know that have been in the game for a long time that don't go to local banks. It's so much better mm-hmm. than hard money, sometimes even private money if yeah. you need it. So it's just another tool. But I like it because um, they... Only re- they require that you put twenty percent in a CD actually, so it's still in your book. So when you go to refi, you're not out oh, yeah. that cash and That's you have great. it. And it's just a, it's a great way, it's like forced to savings, right? Yeah. You're forced to save it. So I kind of created a little network where I'm still an active realtor. I have my business, and then I invest everything I make as a realtor hundred percent into properties. Cool. And do it that so way. I'm busy. Very uh, little. I can, yeah. you know, people say that. I feel like I'm very busy. But what is that? What is that? A uh, term on the law of time. Like the more time you gain, the more you fill it up. Yeah. Like I can't sit still. Yeah, There's I something wrong with me. Yeah. You gotta
0: <laughs> gotta keep it moving. So what's like what's next for you? Is you you've got this, you've got investments you're making, you've got a good business. Sounds like it's producing a good amount of cash if you're doing that level of transactions. Yeah. Like you're a realtor, what's what what's next?
1: Right now, um, we're actually at a stage with Alice where um for the first time we found some technology that could my brain could form like my Everything and how I envision a large operation like that working, I didn't have the right CRM or software, and that's being designed. So we're pretty. So you're building your own software through a platform, yes. And what my goal is of that is because I wanna, I am very dedicated to finding the most efficient way to to run transaction coordinating Mm -hmm. in the volume and the complexity of what investors do. So I'm basically mapping. I've been mapping for about four years all of the anomalies, intricacies, all of the what ifs, then this type things. And we're basically automating it into the software um, so we can take the, the human element out. So it's a little bit more of a streamlined yeah. process. And then being able to, to really maximize the person in that seat to do the problem solving, that takes a little bit more of a personal touch to it. Totally. So I want to keep it really affordable for people, but I also... And kind of building out the knowledge that we've gained over all of this. I mean, we've had our hands on over 4,500 contracts in like three and a half years alone, mm-hmm. which I think is you know, yeah, not that's learn crazy. something, yeah, you're right? Gonna, so, I there's think gonna be a
0: lot of data that comes out of that too. That's, that's my a goal huge is, of is data. to start
1: looking at the data, um, start kind of bringing trends and helping people understand the inside of these operations, which I don't think we do because everyone runs their own little pockets of things. Um, and I've worked with such people of different scale that I'm learning a lot from it. So kind of best practices and things. I basically just want to educate the community on this piece. Um, so that's kind of my role right now is like educating people, marketing, you know, for the company and the services. I have a team of 10. So they kind of operate and run the day to day. And yeah. just kind of right now, I'm I'm basically fixing um, the foundation of it and seeing what we can create in order for it to scale. But I think so many people skip that viability stage. And they yeah. try to, like, scale mediocrity of what they're doing. Yeah. And they're, they, they're so limited and capped at what they can do. And we've seen them completely
0: disintegrate. Because they don't have a foundation to build on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: So I really want to help educate people on the importance of systems and processes in every aspect. TCing just happened to be the one that was, I think, neglected and I had an interest totally. in. So I don't like doing it. <laughs> but... It's something that I think is important in the industry. So I'll do that and continue to, um, truthfully, I go on to build the company to let the girls who helped me build it run it. And then I just want to keep investing.
0: Cool. Yeah. What? So one thing I'm curious about with all the data you have from these Trans- Transactions, what investor investing method do you see as like most profitable or where would where does it make you want to focus?
1: That's a good point. You mean in terms of like.
0: Because you see every HUD.
1: I see every. You see what HUD. everyone
0: makes. You I get do. a you get a peek under the skirt on every deal.
1: <laughs> I had a well, and not that I'm like creeping on everyone's huds, but I do review them because yeah. well, we have to job. make sure they're right. It's <laughs> yeah. my job. Um, but it's we see how people get creative on doing things. I think is is something that's super interesting to see. So if. For example, I have clients that I've had for years that want to get into Novation. So they're like, Casey, how do I even, what does the HUD even look like? I'm able to actually tell them what it looks like yeah. and what the difference is. This is actually where it's line item, this is where it's supposed to go. And that helps them understand how to sell it better yeah. because they know what's being seen and done. But I know what people make. Um, I know the averages, assignment fees um, nationwide in different markets and things like that. And I think that I want to help people understand. Um, how to transition from being transactional to greater wealth for themselves because people get really yeah. addicted to this cash flow mm-hmm. and i and i get it it's really great to just sell it and make that quick 10 whatever grand but and i was in, i was in that seat too yeah. but ever since i've started doing this way like the how much your wealth exponentially increases is pretty wild and the concepts are all the same so
0: mm-hmm. i kind
1: of want to help show people how people got from a to b because i've worked with clients that started that way and have huge portfolios now
0: i mean my my investing career uh, 16 17 18 19 was all transactional based and when i had to take kind of a a step back and a breather during covid and i looked at it's like i had bought some properties i'd bought some rentals but not enough not like ratioed out to what i was doing i should have way more property and wealth yeah. And it's like, well, I guess my only wealth is what I've got in the bank, I kind of yeah. realized. And so 2020, 2021, and 2022, I went Gangbusters and bought like, you know, 100, over 100 doors. And then the wealth went through the roof. And I realized, oh, this isn't that much harder. Actually, in some ways, yeah. it's easier yeah. than, than wholesaling. And I get this great net worth and like oh, all these different benefits plus the cash flow. I keep getting paid on this transaction for years instead yeah. of for an instant.
1: Exactly. And,
0: but you have to have the cash flow coming in to stay alive. You do. Like you're not going to survive off of the 150 bucks a door you're going to make every month. Yeah. So you have to have you have to you have to figure out how to balance both.
1: And I'm glad you said that because I'm at a comfortable place now where my business pays for my bills. You know, my realtor activity pays for my investments. And I really think that the worst advice I ever got was quit your job and go full, full in. Yeah. Because everyone was saying to do that at the start. And I, and I regret it. I was making five grand a week as a salesperson. Like, mm-hmm. there's no reason for me to quit that job when I would only have maybe an appointment a day. There was plenty of time in the day for to me to do both. Yeah. And so I, um, I always tell people keep the w2 for a while keep it until you get to a level of cash flow that's actual freedom because I think when people hear the word freedom, they think some grand number Freedom is just what covers your bills in a month
0: yeah for most people it's like 10 fifteen maybe if you're Even really expensive. less than yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. it could be
1: five grand Freedom month, for yeah. me is like my bills are low I've mm-hmm. lived super minimally for years like I I can't remember the last time I had a car payment like mm-hmm. I can't remember. And so it is discipline in understanding what you really, really want. But everyone talks about mindset, but I don't think people talk about the like the process of getting to that mindset of switching from being addicted to that cash flow to, hey, I'm going to be cash poor because I'm sure. Like, how often are we cash poor? (laughs) You're like
0: too often. How many
1: houses did I agree to buy? Um, And so I think that people forget that when they're first getting started is have a plan. Don't Mm -hmm. just have the money coming in and you can take a deep breath probably for the first time in months. But consistency is the number one thing I I find that people struggle with. And that's why some of my clients will do consistently one to four a month or one every few months. Um, And that I have have very few that actually reach consistency. Very few.
0: That's part of what the business has forced me to do, though, at the same time. It's like the business forces me to have consistency because whether or not we do deals, there's still overhead. So mm-hmm. I'm forced to do consistency. We have to produce cr- transactions and we know that once we hit this number of transactions, overhead's covered and then the rest we can either hold or do whatever I know, w- then we have options.
1: And you know that number though. like yes. you can look at your spreadsheets and they, every good um, like CEO or owner of a company should be able to look at a few numbers and know exactly if they're on track or not. Yeah. I can look at that, you know, on a spreadsheet with transactions too and mm-hmm. be like, "Whoa, we need to get more clients or we need to ask them what's going on Are they having trouble in their marketing because, you know, we have to meet that threshold of, yep. of minimum too and it is not a big profit margin."
0: No. I mean, TZ. I would not imagine it to be, but it's nope. very important and it's what you're going for is volume. Yes. You're, and re- if you can hit that volume, that's that's where it works. I mean, a lot of businesses are volume based businesses and they can work very well once you attract and show the value of that, uh, of your product. And it yeah. sounds like you're doing that. Like, well, you really know, there. like <laughs> I, I've talked to a lot of people who are transaction coordinators, I've interviewed and fired and hired dozens of Trenton, dozens might be an exaggeration, yeah, probably. You're like, no, around, that actually sounds uh, probably like a couple right. dozen now. And it's like, it, it d- does take these different things you're talking about, they have to have these pieces. And if they don't, people worry about the cost of the transaction coordinator the real cost is the loss of the deal. Yes. Yeah. Like if if you're if you so you the number you threw out earlier is ten thousand dollars for a wholesale, right? If your transaction coordinator is getting paid eighty grand a year, that's eight deals. Eight. Eight. That's not eight. that many. Like if and, and for me, like that's like that's a good week. Yeah. Like that's not a year. That's right? a good week. And so it's like we've it's so valuable to us to have someone who's an expert in that field in there and uh, having you plugged into their office. I wish I'd had your service from day one, because I guarantee I've lost out on hundreds of thousands, possibly millions. (laughs) You're like, like, I'm starting uh, to feel the pain. It hurts. (laughs) But yeah, uh, of dollars, because I I went cheap. I thought the $10 an hour person would suffice, but they do not.
1: You know, and another point on that, too, that we teach people is we understand you obviously got to a place where you can bring it in-house and have more control and it makes sense for you. Yeah. The number one question I get is, at what point does it make sense for me to have one? The answer is day one. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... In regards to, we've seen a lot of people flip flop. Well, I want more control in house versus, you know, giving to a third party. Well, in reality, if you don't have the understanding of how to structure that department in full and train them through a process that works, what I've seen the biggest fault of people bringing it in house is that they don't understand the capacity of that role. And so, what I mean by that is, how many deals can they actually handle without breaking? Mm-hmm. And what I, I I'm consulting a company right now. Um, not in Texas, different, who's very high volume in several states and they have one transaction coordinator. Wow. She's amazing mm-hmm. and she's a boss. Um, but she just found out that they were trying to hire another 12 acquisitions people. And I said, how many TCs are they hiring? She goes, that's why I need you <laughs> like, to yeah. talk to them because <laughs> they aren't understanding. And now she's like, well, we want to hire someone else like me. And I said, okay, so now you're getting paid, let's say 80,000. And now, you, and now that, that question, oh, can we afford another $80,000 person? What we teach people is how to maximize that team when you grow without a yeah. huge cost. So you might be able to hire them an assistant yep. at half the cost, a third of the cost. Mm-hmm. And then what do you have to teach them? They're used to handling everything from start to finish. Now they have to learn how to delegate well. And not all TCs know how to do that. So now you've got this like overlaid complication of actually teaching them how to work and manage a team. Yep. Which is a different ball game. And what happens when your TC quits? I'm pretty Ooh. sure it's one of the most painful.
0: That's a kick in the turnovers right yeah. that you
1: can have. So
0: yes, that is, especially if you've got a lot of deals in process, it can it and, can cost you a lot of money.
1: And how good is your CRM? Mm-hmm. Most investors I see have very good lead management, but not good transactional CRMs that have the tools yeah, that a TC needs. Yeah. Um, so what we kind of come in is like, we're you can either hire us to do it for you and you don't have to think about it. We work out of our systems. Mm-hmm. You you know, we'll handle all of it for you or we can come in and consult or train your people and say this is how not only that the technical knowledge, but this is how you run the department. And when you get to, here's how to know when you're get, busting at the seams and you need to start hiring and what yeah. position should come next and how do you now write your processes and procedures for a different stage of growth? Because... How many times I I have literally eighty to ninety checklists alone for TCing, Jeez. process maps probably just as many. And people think I have one like process for transactions, but how what's the variations within it? So yeah. I I just think it's important to have someone there that can see that growth and tell management when they're not paying attention. Hey, we need help. We're on fire.
0: Yeah, we could definitely improve our. Uh, I thought our transaction coordination was pretty good because we have a great person, but you're right. The systems and processes behind it are lacking mm-hmm. and so thanks for opening my eyes sure thanks for coming <laughs> appreciate you coming out and <laughs> uh, talking with me. me today and um you want to tell everyone where to find you how to get in contact with you if they need help with transaction coordination yeah
1: so best way to find me um well our website is www.atlas services kind of a mouthful.com yeah. Atlas CC Services is, is a great place. We'll link there's, it in the show notes. Yeah, we're about to like launch a whole new website and brand and all that fun stuff. So that's awesome. coming out soon. But um, there's like a little link in the top right corner where you can um, ask answer a few questions and schedule a call with actually me directly. Cool. <laughs> um, or Facebook. We're on Facebook as Atlas or Casey Smith. Um, I post a lot of um, knowledge and little things for investors on there that can help them get their deals done better.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming out. If you guys need help with transaction coordination, Uh, Casey is your girl and, uh, thanks for listening until next time. Thanks for listening to the pursuit of prosperity.